heroes reign supreme. Even the heroes need help. Robin, I need your help. What is it, Batman? I need you to fold my laundry. I can do that. Thanks, man. Never realized how difficult it would be out in the dark all the time. Dude, I think I messed up the bathroom again. If it weren't for the sidekicks, uh, the heroes wouldn't know what to do. Batman, what is it? She dumped me! Oh no, Batman. Robin, she found out I don't know how many real powers. I'm giving you a hug through the phone, buddy. Thanks, man. I just... <laughs> they may not get to be the hero, but who said they asked to be? Well, welcome today, Cornerstone. How we doing? So glad you guys are here with us. My name is Aaron Swenson. I'm actually the campus pastor at our Scottsdale campus. Yeah. Wanted to give a quick shout out before we get going to Larry and Santan. Dude, you're amazing. I love you. You're a great campus pastor. You got a great group of people in the Santan Valley taking uh, the Valley for Christ. We're so proud of you and all the work that you're doing there. Give them a shout out in Santan. Love you, Scottsdale. You're a great group of people. Got a few of you here today. You snuck out on Scottsdale. I love you, but you need to come back next Sunday to Scottsdale, okay? Nah, man, we're so grateful uh, to have you, and my wife and I are so fired up to be leading you and doing life with you. So grateful, again, to be here. And to our friends at the 5 p.m., we're fired up about you, and to my new friends here at the Chandler campus this morning. Man, good to see you guys today. And uh, we have a great series uh, that we're in called Sidekicks. We're in week two, and today we're going to be in the book of Acts in chapter 9. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open those. If you've got a digital Bible, I'll pray for you. That's okay. I'm just playing. You know that's a fake Bible, right? I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. But get uh, Acts chapter 9, and we'll get there in just a few moments. And uh, let, me, let me set it up like this. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was almost as if it was fate. And I spotted this little honey across the church lobby. She's about five foot tall, curly blonde hair, blue eyes, braces. I mean, I like to say she was a warm plate of yummy, if you know what I'm saying. She's like the barbecue sauce to my ribs, the sugar to my sweet tea. She was everything. And I wanted to be with this girl. The bonus was she was the pastor's daughter. So I knew she wasn't going anywhere. And so I had some time and I was trying to, I have no game, but I was trying as much game as I could muster up to get around this girl. And I was lingering awkwardly around longer in conversation. You know what I'm talking about? Inserting myself into everything she was doing. I was doing, you're going to summer camp. I've never been. I'm going to summer camp. We're going to ice cream after church. I'm going to ice cream after church. If it's pizza, I don't care what it is. I'm going if you're there. So a few weeks go by and listen, I fell hard like a paperweight to the bottom of a pool. I fell hard for this girl. And I mustered up over several weeks, this idea that I should be, and we should be together. She should be my girlfriend. And so uh, I was strategically trying to figure out how I was going to insert that into conversation. And one day uh, we had become good friends. And one day we were playing basketball. It was a steamy, hot uh, summer uh, day in Oklahoma. And I thought, listen, if this chick's playing basketball with me, it's done. I'm marrying this woman. So 
I sit down and we start having a conversation and she's talking. And as men often do, I was thinking about what I was going to say, not listening to a word she was saying. And I was getting myself all like fired up. You know, I was having one of those moments where I was like, let's do this. Come on. You know, and I was like jumping up around, getting fired up. I got all this risk. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to share with her my heart. And I'm going to say, listen, I want you to be my girlfriend. And, you know, like, like this is going to be unbelievable. But then in an instant, I thought, but what if she doesn't like me? Like, what if, what, what if, what if I never get out of the friend zone with this chick ever? Like I'm in the eternal friend zone with her. I really like her. What do I do? And then I shook it off in three seconds. Like, no, you got this, bro. You just need to do it. So with cotton mouth city, sweat dripping off of my hands, as nervous as all get out, stuttering, I was like, joy, joy, her name's joy. And I said, um, uh, what would you think about being my, my girlfriend? And I thought to myself, dude, you're the man. You killed that. She's not going to say no. There's no way. That was the best invitation to any woman ever that they should be a part of your life. So I thought, how's this going to work, man? That's what she said to me. I was like, how's this going to work? What are you talking about? How's it going to work? She's like, well, you're 14 and I'm 16. That's awkward. And I was like, no, it's not. It's awesome. Trust me. How's date night going to work? Well, you're going to come pick me up and we're going to go to a movie and you're going to buy. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But listen, that's how it's going to work. It's going to be so incredible. And I'd love to tell you that with all the risk and all the vulnerability that some 14 year old had, and I know it was awkward. I was in middle school. I had crooked teeth and shaved head. I look weird as all get out. But listen, she was in high school. I was in middle school. I know it was weird, but it was fate, baby. And I risked it all and being totally vulnerable. And I'd love to tell you that she signed the dotted line, but she totally flat out rejected me. Sometimes that's how risk goes, isn't it? But here's the cool thing. 10 years later, that girl said, yes. Yeah, come on now. We've been married 13 years, got four kids. She's here today, chilling out in the back row. My son's got a broken leg. You need to pray for him. He's a stud, pain tolerance of a superhero, but she's sitting back there hanging out with them. I got her. Risked it all and I got her. So let me ask you, when was the last time that you risked it all? Lump in the throat, sweaty hands. You know it's the right thing to do, but you're afraid to take that step. When was the last time that you risked everything? And, uh, you know, so many of us in this room need to understand uh, that if anybody who has ever done anything great for God... Anybody who's ever impacted their family for God, anybody who's changed the culture of their friendships, anybody who's impacted a city for Christ, any country who has had a massive revival or anybody who's impacted and changed the world for God, they have understood what one of our great presidents, Thomas Jefferson said. He said, with great risk comes great reward. So the story of Acts is really the story of the early church. And there was this, uh, the cross of Christ and the resurrection was one of those things that people hadn't forgotten about yet. It was like the cross of Christ, people in this moment in Acts chapter 9, it would have been like they remembered what it was like when we had one of these unbelievable or tragic experiences in our life. You remember where you were at September the 11th? I was at a bookstore and I saw the second plane crash into the World Trade Center. Right there on live TV. 
I'll never forget where I was. That's the kind of feeling that these people in the scriptures in Acts 9, they're like, dude, I could tell you where I was when I heard about Christ. I could tell you where I was when I heard about the crucifixion and the resurrection. This was a very real thing. And the church was getting so much momentum and so much energy. And some people loved it and some people hated it. And one guy in particular would stop at nothing to, uh, to, 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 uh, to eradicate the world from the church, the, the church from the world. His name was Saul. Saul was a Christian killer. He hated Jesus and hated the movement of Christ. And he heard about this uh, movement of followers of Jesus in this town called Damascus. It was north from where he was at. And he got orders to go take them out. And as they're walking with him and this band of dudes walking with him up the road to Damascus, all of a sudden they're talking about how they're going to kill all these Christians. And all of a sudden, within the drop of a hat, the Bible says actually in Acts chapter 9, by the flash of a light, everything changed. What changed? Jesus showed up. How many of you know that everything changes when Jesus shows up? Who's with me on that one? Everything changes. So everything in that moment changes in a flash of a light, the glory of God, the risen Christ appeared to this guy Saul on the road and he did what everybody does when you meet Jesus. You get low, as low, as low as possible. The sweat from his brow creating mud on his forehead, breathing in the dust of the road, breathing out the dust of the road. He couldn't say a word, couldn't move. He was blinded by the light, not a song, but in literal sense, he was blinded. And he met Jesus that day and Jesus gave him a mission to preach the gospel and to reach the world for Christ. Instead of killing people, you're going to preach the life-changing message of the resurrected Christ and you're going to save people. Awesome. He heads into Damascus and there's this guy, Ananias, who also got a vision from God. <laughs> and uh, God says, Ananias. And he's like, yo, yeah, what? What's going on? And he said, um, so there's this guy, Saul. And I is like, I, I know. <laughs> Everybody who's a Christian knows who Saul is. He wants to kill all of us. Yeah, I want you to go pray with him. <laughs> no, 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 no. I ain't risking that. He's going to kill me. No, 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 no. Listen, Saul is my chosen instrument to carry my name, my fame, my glory, and my renown to the kings, to the Gentiles to the Israelites and to the rest of the world. He is the chosen instrument that will literally, people will see a moment in time with this character, Saul, and everything will be different because of the ministry he's going to have and what I'm going to do in him and through him to all of the people surrounding him. This is a huge and paramount moment. You got to go pray with him. Well, who can argue with that? So he goes. Can you imagine walking into that room? <laughs> Who's terrified? I'm terrified. And he walks in and Saul hears a family greeting. He calls him a brother. A Christian, former Christian killer now turned brother. The Bible says that Ananias laid hands on him, prayed with him. He received the Holy Spirit, was immediately baptized, went off to church, grabbed the Bible and started preaching. And hundreds and hundreds of people in Damascus gave their lives to Christ because of his testimony. The Bible says that people were confounded, a.k.a. jaw dropped, couldn't believe it. Former Christian killer now saving people. Who, did that, who does that? That is unbelievable. I know who does that. God does that. God does that. And so... He begins to preach for the movement that he was trying to stop. You can imagine the people that sent him to Damascus to kill Christians. It got extremely ticked off at him. 
And they wanted to now kill him. So to seek refuge, he runs to the dream team disciples who hung out with Jesus when he was alive and runs to Jerusalem and hopes to get connected with them and soon finds out that they felt like that wasn't going to happen. He had it in one way how he thought it was going to be and the church said, I don't know, man, it's a high risk to get you involved with this. I mean, you might kill us. You might take us out. Risk. Have you ever thought about why you don't take risks? There's a million reasons why, but the scripture that we're looking at today gives us two main reasons. The first one is fear. You and I don't take risks because of fear. Look what happened to the disciples. They were shaking in their boots. Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. If you're with me, say jump. That wasn't convincing. Come on, guys, everybody, all campuses, if you're with me, say jump. All right, thank you. Here we go. There we go. Verse 26. Here we go. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. That just means he wanted to establish a friendship. He wanted to be friends with them. And they were all afraid of him. They were afraid of this guy, Saul. Now, I remember when I was in college, I worked at a summer camp in Missouri, and we were known for our ropes course. And we had this one obstacle where we would climb up to the top of a telephone pole, stand on top of a telephone pole, and a trapeze was just far enough out there to reach that you actually had to lunge out there and jump for it. And I remember all summer long, it was the same with every person, independent of any kind of personality and who they were, where they were from, or what they looked like. As soon as they actually stood up, it was, whoa. Yeah, I mean, they were paralyzed by their fear. Why? Well, fear of the unknown. Fear of getting hurt. Fear of the scrawny guy holding the rope that said he would catch you and it looks like that ain't happening. Fear of looking like an idiot. What if I'm the only one in the group who jumps out and doesn't catch the rope? But to which I would say, what if you were the only one in the group who did jump out and who did catch the rope? You see, many of us spend our entire lives standing on the top of the telephone pole, paralyzed by our fear, living in a sea of what if this, and what if that, and what if this, and what if that. And we never lunge out into the destiny and calling and dream and future that God has for us. It takes a little bit of faith. It takes a little bit of courage to just kind of lunge forward. But I'm telling you, you'll never experience all that God has for you if you don't lunge for it. You got to go after it. But see, so many of us were just so afraid. You know what fear's kryptonite is? Superhero theme? Fear's kryptonite is faith. A complete trust. The God who calls you is the God who will sustain you. The God who calls you is the God who will equip you and tell you what to do when you need to do it. God is not a God who gets out there and calls you to something and says, go figure it out, homie. He ain't like that. God, everybody say God's not like that. God gives you a plan. He's got a plan and he's working the plan. He's doing it for you and you just got to be obedient to what he's called you to do. Pastor and author James McDonald of Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago says that a fearful response is never from God. A fearful response is never from God. How can he say that? Well, the Bible tells us that the essence of who God is, is love. And a perfect love casts out fear. So God and your relationship with him and your faith in him casts out fear. But if a fearful response is never from God and these disciples were afraid of this character, Saul, then what in the world brings about that fear? Your spiritual enemy brings that fear. The devil himself. 
You see, the reason that the devil put fear inside of these disciples is because he was terrified of what Saul was going to do in the world and how he was going to turn the world upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reality is, is the reason that you fear and I fear and we fear is because the devil is afraid. When you start doing things that God's called you to do and you start taking risks, he starts getting a little freaked out that this whole Jesus thing is legit and the world is going to be saved by that message. And so every single time you get fear, this is what I want you to do. You remind the devil, hey, greater is he that is in me than the one who is in the world. I am more than a conqueror in Christ. And listen, I ain't afraid of you. Matter of fact, you should be afraid of me because Jesus is in me. He's called me to do this. And this is what's going to happen, man. Come on. I forgot to tell you that I'm from the South. So sometimes that comes out a little bit. Fear. You know, Another reason we don't risk is doubt. Verse 26, the scriptures are pretty clear. It says that for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They doubted him. They were on the fence with him. They, <laughs> they wanted to believe. They wanted to lean in, but they just doubted him. Can we be honest this morning and say that we probably would have done the same thing? Notorious Christian killer turns to the movement, follows the movement, becomes the greatest advocate and preacher of the movement? Yeah, come on, really? really? I doubt it. You imagine how Paul felt? They were afraid of him. He later became Paul. His name is Saul at this point. You imagine how he felt? People were afraid of him. He knew what happened on that road. They were doubting who he was. Has anybody ever doubted you? Doubted your genuineness of following Christ? Doubted your story? I've had armies of people doubt me. Doubt my calling. Doubt what God's called me to do. Many of us have sat in that seat. Who's with me? Don't leave me up here by myself. Anybody ever been doubted before? Dude, let me tell you something. I think you came here for this right here. Somebody needs to hear this today. Listen, your past is your past. It's just that. It's your past. And people might have doubts and people might go, well, I don't know. I don't know where this gal or this guy is. Listen, let them just sit in that doubt. That's not your doubt. Listen, I don't care who you are, what you've done or who you did it with. And even if you did it last night or on the way to church this morning, wherever you're at in whatever campus and whatever room you're sitting in, it doesn't matter what sin you've ever done. The shed blood of Jesus Christ has the power to cleanse and forgive the grossest of sin any person has ever done. And he can redeem and he can rescue. And if he can do it for Saul, guess who he can do it for? He can do it for you and he can do it for me. So don't you dare let somebody speak doubt over you and what God has done in your life. It doesn't matter what God says about you or what uh, people say about you. It matters what God says about you. Do you know what God says about you if you're a child of God today? He calls you a conqueror. He calls you a victor in Christ Jesus. You are redeemed. You are justified. You are set free. You are bought with a price and you are not your own. You are a child of the risen king. He has saved you, set you free, cleansed you. You are righteous. You are holy. You are blameless. And listen, listen, hear me, hear me now. If God is for us, then who can be against us? You don't have to listen to that junk. And by the way, most of the time, the people that doubt us are commenting from the cheap seats. You tell them to buy it pass to the ring. And if they want to come into the ring and do life with you that way, you let them speak to you. Okay. That was free. I didn't even plan on saying that. (laughs) Well, 
What do you do, though? When you see somebody in your life that, yeah, you've been doubted before, but what, what, have you ever doubted somebody? Have you ever seen a guy like Saul and go, or a person in your life, maybe somebody in your circle of friends, somebody at work, maybe it was a family member and you're like, dude, I know they said they changed, but they ain't changing. Can, can I, can I what, what do you do in that moment? Well, you could be a critic and join those creepy people who comment on Facebook while they're still in their PJs eating Captain Crunch living in their mom's basement. You could do that. Sorry, I'm a little passionate about that. But I think what we would want, you would do in that moment instead of doubting their experience and maybe what God's called them to do, maybe, maybe, maybe you would do what you would want somebody to do for you. It's what Saul wanted the church to do for him. What would that have been? Love them. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin. There ain't nothing wrong with loving people to the nth degree. You know that? There's everything wrong with being a critic, but God's called you as a believer in Jesus Christ not to be the critic, not to be the one who's fine-toothed combing everybody, but to be a hope dealer and a love dealer wherever you go. That's why Paul would later write in the book of 1 Corinthians that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. That's what you do when you don't know what to do with somebody who you're going, I don't know, man. You just love them to it. You know what happens? When you just love them through it, it's happened to me. My wife has done this for 13 years. She just loves me through it. And guess what happens? Baby, I rise to the top. And they'll do it to your life too. You set that bar so high and you love them through that, guess what happens? They start doing it. And that's what Barnabas did. That's the power of being a sidekick. The reality is, is that you and me probably will never, you know, be the, uh, we're not, nobody's ever writing more of the Bible because you can't do that. But uh, many of us might not plant churches. We may not be on the platform delivering the sermons. We might not be the most visible role, but everybody can step in and speak up and speak out and speak on behalf of somebody who everybody's fearful of, who everybody's doubting. Many of us will never be a Paul or, or I mean be a Saul, but every one of us in this room and Santana and in Scottsdale, every one of us can be a Barnabas. And that's our sidekick. Everybody was terrified. Everybody was doubtful. And here enters this guy, Barnabas. This isn't the first time Barnabas entered the picture. He actually entered the picture in the early church in Acts 4. And his real name is Joseph. And like the most common name in all of the Bible. And uh, he sold a piece of property when the church got started right after, uh, you know, Peter preached and, uh, and 3,000 people got saved and they're like, dude, we got a church. <laughs> no, no kidding. And so uh, he sold a piece of property, showed up, gave them all the money and the disciples were like, dude, you're the man. <laughs> and they gave him a nickname. You know what the nickname was? Barnabas. Means son of encouragement. So every time Barnabas rolls up on the scene, dude, there's Barnabas. He's the encourager. Everybody wants a Barnabas in their circle of friends. Are you with me? Dude, I need a Barnabas. You need a Barnabas. We all need a Barnabas. And I want you to notice how he steps up for Saul in two specific ways. Uh, number one, uh, we see that um, he was, uh, incur- sorry, uh, he uh, had encouraging action. If you're taking notes, jot that down. He spoke on his behalf with encouraging action. Verse 27 says that, but Barnabas took him. Now, I believe every word means something. Like God just didn't throw it all together and go, yeah, cool, that's great. So we can just gloss over this story and go, yeah, that's okay, he took him. But really that phrase has a lot of power in it and I want you to understand it. That means that he took him by the hand. 
That's a picture of grabbing somebody, not like mean, but putting your arm around their neck and walking through life with them. Being there through thick and thin, struggle and joy. Heartache and triumph, like you're in it with them and he's walking with them, leading him by the hand. Like we all need people like that in our lives. Barnabas was like, hey man, listen, I know they're afraid. I know they're doubting you, but listen, I don't care. I realize that as soon as somebody meets Jesus, that changes everything for him. See, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Dude, you're brand new. And I just have the faith and the trust in God that if he can save you, he can save anybody. And I'm jumping on this train, man. If you're God's chosen instrument, I don't want to be on the opposing end of that. I want to be on the supporting end of that. And so I'm going to come alongside of you and walk through life with you. He got involved. He physically got involved. Why did he do that? Well, because Jesus was the greatest example of physically getting involved in everybody's mess. You know what I'm saying? Like Jesus has a tendency just to kind of get up all in your grill all the time. Anybody felt that before? I feel it all the time. See, there's a couple of stories. In Luke chapter 7, there's a story of this guy who had a serious skin disease and he wanted to be healed. They called it leprosy. And he said, Jesus, I need you to, I want you to heal me. If you'll touch me, well, you can make me clean. And Jesus is like, for sure. He could have gone and done something else, but he leaned in and he got involved. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 7 that uh, Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. And the Bible says he was clean. There was another time where Jesus was making his way to a city called Nain. It was like a little spot in the road. Now imagine this, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, the light of the world, the hope of the world, physically embodying God and how much he loves the world. He sent Jesus for us. Like he's walking into this city. And coming out of the city was this mom, devastated by the loss of her son who died too soon. And she is so emotional and Jesus could have kept going. How many of you would have been like, man, just be honest. I don't know what to do. If I'm being honest, I would have been there. I was like, I don't know what to say to them. But Jesus gets involved and he has compassion on this woman. And he walks up to her and he says, woman, do not cry. That wasn't being rude, but he's saying, listen, why not cry? Because the hope of the world, the light of the life is standing before you. If there's any hope, uh, now is the time where there's hope. Jesus did the unthinkable. He was a rabbi, not supposed to touch dead people. He touches the coffin. And immediately that young man was resurrected and he was alive again. Jesus has a habit of getting into our lives, getting involved, touching us and, 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 and healing and cleansing us. And that's the picture of what Barnabas did. That's the power of being an encouraging person, moving into action, wading into somebody's life, being all in all the time. Galatians tells us to bear one another's burdens. We're in it through thick and thin. We don't always have to know the right things to say, but your presence matters more than your words at this point. There was a time I was a young pastor in Oklahoma and I was called on a Sunday afternoon after church to go into the ICU of one of the hospitals in town. Older lady, Carol, her husband, uh, Roy, was on the table and he was literally, I mean, the machines were keeping him on. She said, Pastor, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, this is kind of, I don't know either. I mean, I'm young. I have no, they don't, you, don't, you don't learn this in Bible college. They don't tell you what to say in these moments. So, They made the decision to turn the machine off and he entered into heaven like that. 
Now, while he was partying in the presence of Jesus, here's this family who has no idea what to do in this moment. And I didn't either. I had no clue. So I did what only I knew to do. Grabbed their hands. Carol and her daughter. And we just stood there for a moment in silence. And then we prayed. And to this very day, Carol says, it's your presence that mattered. It's not what you say. It was that you were there. It's that you were involved. That's what God's call for you and for me is. That's what we do. That's a marker of being a follower of Christ is getting involved in the lives of people. That's the posture that we take. Now, secondly, uh, in this encouraging action, Barnabas brought uh, or took him and then brought him to the apostles, verse 27 says. This phrase literally means that he, he, he led them. Now, Barnabas uh, was the leader to Saul. Now, here's what's interesting. He has never written a word of the New Testament. Barnabas never wrote a word, but he mentored and influenced and led two guys who wrote over a third of it. What? That's the power of being a Barnabas. That's the power of being a sidekick is you might not ever be up front, but God could use you to change the world through a man, through a woman, through a family, through a church, through a city. God could be using you as the door opener to somebody's the future that maybe they could stand up and they're the ones that are going to be the upfront person. But every single one of us has the power to issue in some encouragement and influence people. Who are you influencing today? You influencing your friends? What about your son? Your daughter? Your wife? Your husband? The people that you work with? Do you know that you are God's plan A for raising up new sidekicks? There is no other plan B. It's you and me. Later, Paul, who was Saul, would write, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Those are some powerful words. Who are you training up? Who are you pouring into? It's the call for the Barnabases in the world is to step in, get involved in the lives of people. Encouraging action. Secondly, look at this, encouraging affirmation. Verse 27 goes on to say that he declared to them. That word means that he told the whole story. He's like, listen, you know what happened on that road to Damascus? Like he was straight up changed. You guys should hear him. Listen, this is like the road to Damascus and this moment was about three years in time. And we don't get that if we don't dig back to the backstory. And so it was about three years go by. And he's like, dude, you should hear his authority and his preaching, his boldness and his passion. Like people are responding. He's got a gift. We've got to support this guy. He tells the whole story. He affirms the genuineness of his experience. Look at verse 27 further. He goes, how on the road, look at what he did. He had seen the Lord and who spoke to him. He saw Christ and God gave him a mission. Nobody can argue with your experience with God. Let them, but you know what happened. And then he goes on to says, not only did he encounter Christ, but his behavior changed. Like if you think he's coming in to kill us, it's one thing to say, I'm a Christian and then sneak in, right? But it's another thing to say, I'm a Christian and then actually have your life transformed. And that's what happened. The verse goes on to say at Damascus, he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. He's like, dude, this guy is super legit. That's he is who he is. He's totally real. Could you imagine if somebody affirmed you like that? Would that change you? What if you began to affirm people in your life like that? 
Like, I'm, I'm not talking about the encouraging affirmation of, oh, honey, I love that lipstick and you look so beautiful today. Keep doing that. I like your outfit. That purse is so cute. Son, you did a great job in the football game today. Man, that was super sweet. You're the man. Listen, that kind of encouragement, you've taken baths deeper than that. What God is calling you and me to do with the example of Barnabas is to wade in the deep waters of affirming the character and the hardwiring and the calling of a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl and who God has hardwired them to be. What do you mean? Wives, think about your husbands. Listen, I got four kids and they're all rowdy, all right? And it's easy to fly off the handle in a nanosecond. Any parents with me on that? What if this happened? Honey, I saw how you wanted to totally yell at those kids. Just being honest. But I saw you bite your tongue and you were patient with them. And you exhibited a lot of self-control and you listened to why they were frustrated. And then you interject like a father would and, and, and asked questions and understood why they were screaming and why they were yelling. And yes, it was about a Barbie or a My Little Pony, but you got to the bottom of it and then you encouraged them in a different direction. What you don't know, hubby, is that you have set an example on what self-control looks like. And our sons are being raised in an environment where they see a dad who exhibits some self-control, who leads his family with tenderness, but as the heart of a warrior, but tender in that moment. And you are leading them this way. And let me tell you one thing. Ladies, you tell your husband that. I'm telling you one thing. He's going to be like that every stinking day and three times on Sunday. Because that kind of encouragement changes somebody. What about looking at your son or daughter in the wake of unbelievable promiscuity and excess in high school, universities, even junior high schools, and you say, son, I know it ain't easy. But your stance to honor God with your body? Honey, your stance to be modest in how you dress? Not only are you honoring those young men that are around you, not only are you honoring those young ladies around you, but you're honoring God. You're making me proud, and you're making God proud. you imagine a daughter or son that hears that? It's risky because maybe you've never done it before and it feels kind of awkward at first. Maybe you're a single person and you're the only one in your clique of friends that are not partying. And you're standing strong for Christ and God's called you to be a Barnabas in that moment and, that, and encourage them and maybe you could change the whole culture of your friendship circle. And you look at that guy or that girl who's heading down that road that you know is not honoring to God and you know that they're kind of struggling with meaning and, 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 and what God wants them to do with their life and they're making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision and God's going to call you to go take them out to breakfast at Panera. Sit across the table and say, listen, if you keep doing this, you're going to ruin your life. Listen, sometimes encouragement just isn't about cupcakes, rainbows, Skittles, and My Little Ponies. Sometimes the greatest encouragement you can give is a stern look at a brother or sister in Christ, a friend, and say, you keep doing that, you're going to ruin your life. So, what if you received encouragement like that? Wouldn't that change you? If it changed me, it has changed me. My son broke his leg Sunday. He's three years old. 
And our church, Cornerstone Scottsdale specifically, has rallied around us and all the notes on Facebook from our staff coming over and helping us with all of our kids. Like their affirmation and their encouragement to my family when our family lives a thousand miles away, we have just adopted a whole like 7,000 people uh, that are our family members and they have changed us by their encouragement. Like this has the power to change everything. I believe that because Barnabas stepped up when everybody else was not willing to risk, when everybody else was fearful and doubtful, and he stood up with shoulders back and understood that God really changes people and he intersects himself into the moment and the power of his encouragement changed Saul's life forever. He was the man who would go on to write, The most powerful verses that we all memorize. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, he would go on to write things like, for uh, me to live as Christ, to die as gain. He would say, I have learned to live on a lot and I've learned to live on a little and everything in between. But one thing I do know is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He said, listen, I'm going to forget what's behind and press on to the prize that is before me of knowing Christ Jesus. He would go on and be a Barnabas to another guy. His name was Timothy. And he would say, Timothy, don't let anybody neglect you. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. He said, listen, you be an example in your speech and your conduct and in your purity. And they will rise to that. And he says, young man, you stand up, you never shut up and you keep preaching and you fan the flame of that gift in your life. And he became a Barnabas to somebody else. So is it easy? I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah, there might be some fear and there might be some doubts, but I want you to stop standing there. I want us to stop standing there. And God is calling us to stand in the gap for other people. And this could change your marriage, your friendships, your, uh, your, your son, relationship with your son or your daughter. It could change your neighborhood. It could change our cities from the Santan Valley all the way to Scottsdale and everything in between. It can change our state and has the power to change our country and ultimately the power to change our world. Why can I say that? Because it happened to Saul. And he would go on to be the greatest mover and shaker the church has ever seen. And today we're sitting here some couple thousand years later talking about a guy whose life was changed and we're living in the wake of a man who was encouraged by a sidekick named Barnabas and the whole world was turned upside down because of those two. So why not you? Why not you and Santan? Why not you and Scottsdale? Why not us? Why not now? Unleashing the army of encouragers by action and by affirmation. Out with fear, out with doubt, and with all out trust in God. And it might be scary, but who knows? Your encouragement might just change the world. God, we come to you today and we uh, recognize that It's in you where the power lies. It's in you where we get life and we get forgiveness and freedom and nothing I can say can save anybody or honestly even encourage anybody. It's your word that does that. And God, we ask you to do something powerful in our hearts in this moment. Still praying today, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. How many of you would say, here's the deal. I came in here pretty heavy hearted. But the reality is, is because of what we've all experienced in this room for about an hour, my heart has been encouraged today. 
Would you just lift your hand? I just want to, I just want to say, I'm going to praise God for that, that affirmation and that, that you, your heart has been stirred. Praise God. How many of you would say, listen, I've got a calling and a destiny and a purpose. I've been playing it safe. It's time for me to jump. I want to pray for you. It's time for me to risk it. I'm going to do it. I'm going after it. How many of you would say, listen, I've also learned today that I've been playing it too safe with people and I need to be a Barnabas. I need to be an encourager. How many of you would say, would you pray for me to boldness to step out and be that encouragement? Father, thank you for these wonderful people who have said today that uh, they've been encouraged. I praise you for that and I thank you for that. That's where uh, we're so grateful that your word was written thousands of years ago, but still relevant to our hearts today. God, others of us, we got risks we need to take. Not stupid, blind, dumb risks, but risks that you've called us to. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Make us like Barnabas who risks it all and steps in. God, I just pray for an army of Barnabases from Santan Valley all the way to Scottsdale, Chandler, and everybody in between. There's several thousand people that will gather across all of our campuses this weekend. And God, I just believe that if even half of us walk out of these rooms today and say, you know what? I know what God's call on my life is to do is I'm going to be an encouragement to people. I just believe that change everything in our city and in our world. God, give us boldness and courage to do this. May we follow you with reckless abandon. Jesus, thank you ultimately for changing us in Christ's name. Amen.